I'm Derek Bryan, Head of Education at Melanoma Institute Australia, a non-profit organisation dedicated to preventing and curing melanoma through innovative, world-class research, treatment and education programmes. You're listening to the Melanoma Insights for Professionals podcast series. Our podcasts are designed for the busy healthcare professional who wants to stay ahead of the rapidly evolving melanoma treatment landscape. Every month, I'll be introducing internationally recognised clinicians and researchers to provide their leading-edge insights and practical opinions covering key aspects of melanoma prevention, diagnosis and management. Today, we're discussing the management of brain metastases in melanoma and weighing in on the discussion is our panel of multidisciplinary experts from the fields of medical oncology, radiation oncology and neurosurgery. First, let's welcome Alex Menzies, a medical oncologist and associate professor of melanoma medical oncology at MIA the University of Sydney, and Royal North Shore and Mata Hospitals. He's joined by neurosurgeon Dr. Brinda Shevillingham. Brinda has appointments at Sydney's Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, the Mata Hospital, and the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse, and is an associate of MIA. We also welcome to the discussion Professor Angela Hong, a radiation oncologist at MIA, the Marta Hospital and the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse. Angela is also a clinical professor at the University of Sydney. Welcome all, and thank you for joining us today. Over to you, Alex, to lead the discussion on the management of melanoma patients with brain metastases. Thank you for joining us today to discuss the management of brain metastases in melanoma. We're going to review a couple of things today in today's podcast. Firstly, the role of systemic therapy, the role of neurosurgery, and the role of radiotherapy, and how these three treatments come together in the multidisciplinary management of melanoma metastases. So firstly, I'm going to ask Brenda Shivalingham, a neurosurgeon. Management of patients with brain metastases in metastatic melanoma has changed significantly in recent years. How are melanoma patients with brain metastases treated in the past compared to now, and how have survival rates changed? Brenda. Brain metastases are very common in the setting of melanoma and somewhere between the uh, proportion of 30 to 40% of patients will at some point in their disease develop brain metastases. In the past, the survival figures were quite dismal and on diagnosis of a brain metastasis, the expected survival was in the order of about three to four months. Over time, with developments in all aspects of treatment, we now have much prolonged survival and sometimes long-term survival. And this has really revolutionized the way that we treat patients with brain metastases and bring in a multidisciplinary approach. Several years ago, when patients presented with multiple brain mets in particular, the role of surgery was limited or non-existent because their overall survival was so dismal. And therefore, our surgical approach was purely aimed at patients who presented with a single brain metastasis in a resectable location in the brain, and often a large metastasis, which was symptomatic. Over time, as neurosurgery has developed and become safer, and also due to the fact that systemic therapies have improved and overall survival of patients with stage 4 disease has improved, we now are more aggressive with our surgical management of patients with brain metastases. Therefore, even with patients who have multiple metastases, we often end up offering surgery to treat the large symptomatic lesions 
prior to embarking on other forms of treatment such as drugs or radiotherapy. So Brenda, now, given the advances in treatment and given the multidisciplinary management of patients with brain metastases, when would you say is appropriate for a patient to undergo neurosurgery? Once upon a time, we almost exclusively only operated on patients who had a single brain metastasis with limited or no systemic disease. Over time, neurosurgery itself has become safer and quicker to recover from, but also with the ongoing improved survival, long-term survival of patients, we are now starting to offer surgery to a wider range of patients with brain metastases, including patients who have numerous metastases, but have some that are large and uh, symptomatic. Surgical techniques that have changed over time include using stereotactic navigation as well as the operating microscope. And the combination of these two modalities has allowed us to resect brain metastases in a minimally invasive fashion with fairly quick recovery with hospital stay in the order of about three to four days after surgery. The vast majority of patients also now have very few, if any, complications. And really the choice of surgery is all about the location in the brain, as well as the symptoms that the lesion is causing. We have found over time as well that with brain metastases, on-block resection, as opposed to piecemeal resection, does have a bearing on local control rates in the long-term fashion. And this again is facilitated by the use of stereotactic navigation as well as the operating microscope and microsurgical technique. Thanks, Brinda. It's really important mm -hmm. to still understand the vital role that neurosurgery can play in selected patients with brain metastases. Next, we're going to turn to radiotherapy, another local therapy that can be very useful in this scenario. There are various forms of radiotherapy, both stereotactic radiotherapy whole brain radiotherapy and this can be given as definitive treatment and as adjuvant treatment. Angela, can you please tell us about the role radiotherapy has in the management of brain metastases? Thank you, Alex. So radiotherapy is an integral part of managing patients with metastatic melanoma in the brain. As you mentioned, there's local treatment with stereotactic radiation therapy, which is using a very high ablative dose of radiotherapy to the individual brain metallicis. Traditionally, we use stereotactic treatment for one or one to three brain metallicis. Now, with improving in the radiotherapy technique, we can easily do up to 10 metallicis in one session under an hour. So it's a very typically easy treatment for patient. Um, so it's a local treatment, it's very effective when you give high um, ablative dose of radiotherapy, but the response rate is not as quick as surgery. So it's not like you cut it, it's gone. Often takes about a couple months before we see a response. Um, so we have to work with the neurosurgeon and medical oncologist to select the patient that's suitable for SRS. And Angela, just on SRS, can you comment on uh, the disease control rate with SRS as opposed to surgery? Sure. So the response rate is size dependent. So the smaller the lesion, the higher chance of responding to radiotherapy. So for something that is less than a centimeter in diameter, you're looking at about 80-85% response rate. 
something a bit bigger, two, three centimeter, you're expecting a lower response rate, 70%. So we do SRS in a single fraction, but for larger lesion, because you end up treating a larger volume of normal tissue, we actually have to spread it out a bit more, maybe do it over three or five fraction, still within a week or two weeks of treatment. So our patient works, fairly easy procedure. And is there a size upper limit that you wouldn't offer SRS and we prefer surgery? Yes, I think three centimetre more, we would prefer surgery. Obviously, if the lesion is in a very difficult location that surgeon can't get to, then we can treat with fractionated radiotherapy. And I guess any toxicities with radiotherapy? During the treatment, there might be some cerebral edema that we can prevent by giving prophylactic low-dose steroid for the duration of treatment. Otherwise, it's fairly well tolerated. They don't lose the hair. As I said, it's an outpatient treatment. In the longer term, there's always a concern of radionecrosis, which is when the radiotherapy works too well, often in the setting of immunotherapy, that patient can develop necrosis at the site of high-dose radiotherapy. It's often many months later, could be like even a couple of years after radiotherapy, we see that change. We say that the rate is probably about 15% rate, that we can see some changes on MRI scan consistent with radionecrosis at one year. There's data out there that look at the role of post-operative radiotherapy mm. to the cavity. Mm. Um, Brinda, can you perhaps mention mm. a typical operation for you, yes. uh, what that looks like? And, and then, Angela, if you could comment mm. about whether or not there's, you feel there's a, a good role for uh, adjuvant uh, targeted radiotherapy postoperatively? Sure. At operation, I think using the on-block technique, which essentially involves under microscopic vision, dissecting around the outside edge of the tumour. And that often involves resecting a few millimetres of surrounding brain with the tumour. That sort of resection affords quite a high local control rate of in excess of 90%. And in that situation, I find that perhaps cavity SRS is not required. There are lots of different ways of resecting brain tumours. And another commonly used method is a piecemeal resection where the tumour is resected from within bit by bit. And in that situation, not infrequently, inadvertently, there can be a little bit of tumour or a few cells even left behind that you may not be able to see or haven't accounted for. And therefore, we may see local recurrence fairly soon afterwards. And so if there's any hesitation by the surgeon who, who feels that there might have been some residual, then I do feel that cavity SRS is required. The other time that I would often refer a patient for cavity SRS is if the original operation has failed and we've had recurrence and I have to operate a second time. I will usually follow through with cavity SRS after that. Angela, does that sound... Yeah, so I agree with Brenda. So it's on a case-by-case basis. So if it's a very clean on-block resection, first presentation, there was no trouble at the time of surgery, there was no lateral meningeal involvement, I would not routinely give cavity boost because of a risk of potentially late effect with radiotherapy. 
there are randomized data to support cavity boost, not just in melanoma. So the data is on all solid tumor. Adding in cavity boost after surgery does help to improve the local control, doesn't reduce the development of distant intracranial metastasis, no impact on overall survival. So it's not a routine procedure I would give, so only a selected patient. Yeah. You touched on the idea of um, distant control mm. in the brain and uh, the role of potentially adjuvant whole brain radiotherapy. Mm. Can you comment about your thoughts about that at this point in time? Sure. So I often tell the patient that the metallicis got there by blood. It's the same circulation around the brain. Potentially there could be other cells elsewhere in the brain that we can't see. We know that for patients with a single or oligometallosis, after the local treatment, the risk of another recurrence somewhere in the brain within the first 12 months can be up to 50%. So we need to think about what else can we do to reduce the recurrence somewhere else in the brain. Could it be radiotherapy? Could it be drug treatment? So we have recently completed a randomized study uh, for patients with one to three melanoma brain metallicis. After the local treatment, that could be surgery or stereotactic radiosurgery, we randomized the patient to have whole brain radiotherapy, low dose 30 gray in 10 fractions over two weeks, or observation. And they can go on to have whatever systemic therapy that's appropriate for them. So we're analyzing the data at the moment. Hopefully the result will be available in June this year. Fantastic. I guess traditionally there can be some toxicities with yep. whole brain radiotherapy, mm. uh, whether used possibly in the adjuvant setting or as a definitive palliative mm. treatment. Mm. Could you talk perhaps in the palliative setting mm. for people with a large number of mm. brain metastases, symptomatic brain metastases, the, the benefit whole brain radiotherapy may provide and the toxicity, particularly neurocognitive? Sure. We're using less and less whole brain radiotherapy now, mainly because of effective systemic therapy, either target therapy and immunotherapy. We still treat patients with whole brain radiotherapy for those who are young and fit and not responded to surgery, systemic therapy, still of good performance status, we would still give whole brain radiotherapy for those with multiple metallicis or leptomeningeal disease. Neurocognitive decline is a concern, it's real, half the whole brain radiotherapy is well documented in clinical trial. So there are ways that we can try to minimize that. One is by using hippocampal sparing whole brain radiotherapy, so giving a full dose to the brain but sparing the hippocampus. And that's been shown in a, a randomized study to be of benefit in terms of delaying the neurocognitive decline on formal neurocognitive testing. We can also give a drug called Mymentin uh, for six months, 20 milligram per day. And that has also been shown in a randomized setting to help to delay the decline. So there are ways that we can minimize the whole brain radiotherapy toxicity. So it's a balance for someone with resistant disease that we try to do something that we can delay the decline from tumor itself. So it's a balance that we explain to the patient. So. Excellent. Thank you. Alex, it was once believed that systemic therapy was ineffective in treating brain metastases due to the blood-brain barrier. Tell us about which therapies we now know can be effective therapeutic agents. Traditionally, systemic therapy across cancer and traditional chemotherapy was thought to be not very effective in the brain. And we certainly know that in a normal brain, there is an intact blood-brain barrier that can prevent the penetration of certain drugs into the brain. 
In the setting of established brain metastases, that philosophy is not quite as strongly held and believed. And in melanoma, we have effectively turned that concept on its head. At MIA, we have pioneered the development of not only surgery and radiotherapy for melanoma, but systemic therapy, both with targeted therapy and immunotherapy. Initially with targeted therapy with BRAF inhibitors and then BRAF and MEK inhibitors, we saw that there were very high response rates in the brain with drug therapy alone. But unfortunately, almost always these responses were short-lived and patients inevitably progressed in the brain and often died of brain metastases. Counter to that, what we've seen more recently with immunotherapy, particularly combination immunotherapy, and a clinical trial we ran called the ABC trial, since replicated in other trials and other centers, we've seen that immunotherapy upfront can be highly effective for patients, particularly patients with asymptomatic brain metastases that are not on steroids at the start of treatment. Response rates can be as high as 55%, and these responses can be durable over many years. And of course, we can't forget that patients have extracranial disease. And just because patients have brain metastases doesn't mean they die of brain metastases. So systemic therapy is an integral part now of the management of patients with metastatic melanoma in general, in particular those with brain metastases. And the integration with surgery and radiotherapy is always at the foremost of our minds. One thing we'd mention in terms of brain metastases, which is a current clinical problem, is patients that do have targeted therapy and then fail in the brain on targeted therapy. These patients have very resistant disease to systemic therapy. We find that immunotherapy following targeted therapy appears much less effective. And in that situation, we're trying to avoid that situation by instilling immunotherapy earlier in the journey, but we are very much looking in that resistance setting for local therapies as a bridge to try and provide time for immunotherapy to work. So we've heard from the three of us about the different treatment options we have and how in modern melanoma management for brain metastases, we need to work together to work out the sequence on the order of treatments that are given. Angela, I'll ask you, do we think there's different toxicities, for example, when we give immunotherapy and radiotherapy in the brain? Yes, I think so. I think we are seeing more radionecrosis when we give radiotherapy in the setting of immunotherapy, whether the patient had radiotherapy often followed by immunotherapy or concurrently, the timing doesn't seem to be a major key factor. Perhaps patients are living longer now because of effective immunotherapy, then they get a chance of developing the radionecrosis. But it's not just us, other centers have also reported increasing rates of radionecrosis in patients with melanoma having radiotherapy and immunotherapy. So there's something that we try to avoid or try to minimize the radionecrosis by using slightly different radiotherapy techniques instead of using one big dose of radiation treatment. We spread it out a bit more over three days, so three smaller doses, still high dose, with minimizing the dose to normal tissue to hopefully reduce the risk of radionecrosis. And just in that regard, Brinda, often you see patients that mm. may have recurrence, maybe radionecrosis. We know for primary brain cancers, this can be a difficult thing, pseudoprogression, true progression. In melanoma, in the setting of immunotherapy and radiotherapy, can you comment on what some of the classic features are on imaging that might suggest radionecrosis and how we manage that? 
Yeah, the radionecrosis and diagnosis is very challenging. We start off with uh, MRI and most of these patients have frequent MRIs. And to me, that's really the key is sequential MRIs and the changes that we see associated with that. So even with radiation necrosis, lesions can get larger over time and generate lots of edema. But it's about the, the way the lesion looks Classic radiation necrosis tends to be a bit irregular, whereas true metastasis or recurrence tends to have slightly smoother boundaries and tends to contrast enhance a little bit more uniformly, whereas the radiation necrosis looks a little bit more like a ring-enhancing lesion, almost like a primary glioma, for instance. The degree of edema can be quite profound. But also the gradient echo image is also quite useful for diagnosing radiation necrosis. So true progression is black generally on gradient echo, whereas radiation necrosis will often not be black. We sometimes also clarify things using a PET scan. A PET scan looks at activity rather than structure. And it's not always reliable, but it can certainly help sway us one way or the other. In general, however, if I do find that a patient has a lesion that is progressing on sequential MRI with increasing edema and it is in a location that is suitable for resection, I generally advise resection after discussion in the MDT because it gives us the answer, the tissue diagnosis, but also it is highly effective at getting rid of the edema that goes along with it. In other situations, of course, we try steroids, sometimes uh, bevacizumab, um, and surgery obviously clearly plays a role. Mm. The other thing that can sometimes help, I find as a clinician with my patients, is generally patients have concordant intracranial and extracranial responses. So if patients have responded in both sites, it may give you a clinical indication that perhaps we're looking at radionecrosis, particularly if it's later, usually about a year after treatment. So that can be something quite helpful. Angela, we obviously want to do more in this space. Yeah. We know that stereotactic radiotherapy can be very effective. Not everyone responds to immunotherapy, but clearly people that do respond well may develop radionecrosis. What are we doing at MIA to try and clarify and understand that better and how better to treat people. Sure. So you mentioned the ABC trial, so showing the effectiveness of immunotherapy in patients with asymptomatic brain metallicis. So the next step will be carry out a randomized study, adding in radiotherapy. So we're calling it ABCX. So for patients with asymptomatic metallicis uh, suitable for immunotherapy, they will get randomized to have immunotherapy alone or the addition of stereotactic radiosurgery to the individual brain metallicis. So we're hoping to open this in the next two, three months. Excellent. I think that'll be a pivotal trial to clarify how we move forward. Now, obviously, that's all in people with asymptomatic brain metastases. Mm -hmm. Symptomatic brain metastases is a slightly different scenario, and I'd argue one where we lean towards local therapy even more in conjunction with the systemic therapy. And perhaps now we might switch to some of the factors that we consider when we see a patient that presents to us with melanoma brain metastases. Some of the things that we think about, and we're gonna cover this in the cases coming up, some of the factors that I think we all consider and discuss both in the MDT and uh, with our colleagues at large. I think the first factor we think about is, do people have symptoms related to the brain metastases? Are they dependent on steroids to manage that? The next thing, 
how many brain mets there are, where they are, how large they are. The extracranial disease burden is really important. We can't just look at the MRI scan and look at that alone. We need to factor that in in the larger scheme of things, and I think some cases will outline that. And the final thing that I think is also really important is what are our systemic treatment options? And a patient that's naive to systemic therapy is very different to a patient who's become resistant to systemic therapy in the brain and how we manage that. So hopefully we'll consider those factors when we go through the cases now. So we're going to go to the first case of Mr. AS. He's a 68-year-old man that presents with a four-week history of intermittent headaches, some anorexia and fatigue. Generally, otherwise very well, no past history of melanoma or any other cancer. And he is pretty well. He's a retired IT worker, lives with his wife, independent, non-smoker. Mr. AS first goes to his GP, who organized for a CT scan, then an MRI scan. The scan shows a ring-enhancing 20 by 20 millimeter right occipitoparietal lesion. And he has systemic staging with a PET scan that shows two small FDG avid lung lesions and a single spot in the ischium. He has a lung biopsy that confirms melanoma, and this is BRF wild type. And he has no primary melanoma evident on his skin examination. So this is a man that has a symptomatic single brain metastasis with low volume extracranial disease with BRF wild type melanoma. Angela, what would you do for this guy? And what do you think the, the issues are we need to think about? So this is a otherwise very fit man, symptomatic disease, single lesion in the brain, good size, two by two centimeter, look like in a resectable location. So I will look at the MRI scan, discuss the case at MDT, um, and ask for a surgical opinion because with that size, I think if the surgeon can remove that, he will benefit quite quickly from the symptom point of view. Excellent. Mm. Brenda, does that mm. sound reasonable? Mm. Yeah, that's absolutely reasonable. 20 by 20 millimetres is a reasonable size and I would expect that there'll be a fair amount of edema associated with this lesion. He's clearly going to need systemic therapy as well for his systemic disease. Often when I look at patients in this situation, the thing that clarifies it for me is what's the most life-limiting lesion? And a 20 millimeter uh, lesion in the brain with surrounding mass effect and edema, which is symptomatic, is going to become quite life-limiting quickly and therefore surgery is warranted. It's likely to be in a safe location and should be amenable to a minimally invasive craniotomy and on-block resection. Angela, you don't want to give this guy stereotactic radiotherapy? No, so I'll talk to Brinda after the operation if it was a fairly straightforward, clean, on-block resection and the post-op-CT looks good, I wouldn't routinely give a cavity boost. Likely that he will proceed with systemic therapy and that's likely to have an effect in the brain control as well. So I will just observe his brain very closely. And no role for whole brain radiotherapy adjuvantly in this scenario? No. So this is exactly what happened with this man. He has upfront neurosurgery and of course he has extracranial disease. He's had a resected brain metastasis. He comes to talk to medical oncology about immunotherapy. In this scenario, for a relatively well man that is symptomatic from the brain metastasis, symptoms resolve, relatively but low volume disease, 
In BRF wild-type melanoma outside of clinical trials, we're looking at single-agent PD-1 therapy versus combination therapy. And from our experience from clinical trials of patients without brain metastases, combination immunotherapy has a slightly higher response rate and improved survival. And particularly from our ABC trial of patients with brain metastases, we saw a much improved response rate and survival with combination immunotherapy. So that would be my preference for treatment in this setting. Obviously, we have to offset the potential benefits with treatment with toxicity because combination toxicity is much more significant than single agent. Nevertheless, this patient did go ahead and have ipilimumab and nivolumab a couple of weeks after surgery when he'd recovered and come off steroids. When would you next image this man's brain? He's had a single brain net resected. He's starting immunotherapy. Brenda, when would you image him? And what are you thinking about when you're scanning them? Too soon, too late? The minimum time from surgery, I would say, is six weeks. Anything sooner than that, and you do see a lot of surgical artifact, which can be very confusing. So I like to six weeks at the very earliest, but ideally leaving it to eight weeks or 12 weeks after surgery is what gives you the really clean image. So it really depends on whether I'm worried that he might have an early recurrence. But at operation, if I truly was worried that he might have an early recurrence, I may well have referred him on to Angela for some stereotactic SRS to the cavity. Can I ask you, Alex, just about the combination immunotherapy? Mm. And could you elaborate a little bit on the adverse effects of what patients might experience? Yeah, so as we, we've covered in a couple of podcasts, immunotherapy works by reactivating your own immune system with the hope that it can reactivate T-cells that have recognized melanoma tumor and attack them. Unfortunately, other organs can be affected and become inflamed, so to speak, with immunotherapy. With single-agent PD-1 therapy, the chance of this is relatively low. Most people have little to no side effects of treatment. If they get some side effects commonly, it's perhaps a rash, some inflammation of the skin. But rarely, they could get inflammation of the hormone glands, like the thyroid or the pituitary, or the liver and the bowel. With combination immunotherapy, the risk is much higher. So it's about a 50% risk of a significant toxicity. Almost always these are reversible and manageable. And uh, nowadays with increased awareness of toxicity and early management, it's very safe treatment to give. But saying that this is a more toxic regimen, you do need to select patients for this treatment, but particularly patients with brain metastases have more aggressive disease than other melanoma patients. And we are looking to give them more aggressive therapy in that scenario. So next we change tack to a younger patient, a 36 year old, who had high-risk melanoma in 2014. And she presents to clinic with routine surveillance imaging. This is quite common nowadays. We're routinely imaging the brain as part of follow-up. And she presents with an MRI scan and a PET-CT. Her MRI brain shows six new sub-centimeter brain metastases from two to eight millimeters. And the PET scan shows two subcutaneous metastases in the axilla around the site of her previous surgery, both 12 and 14 millimeters. So she's got multiple small asymptomatic brain metastases with low volume extracranial disease. She's BRAF wild type. And Angela, I'll ask you, in this scenario, what would you recommend in terms of management for this young asymptomatic patient? with brain predominant disease. Yeah, so six more brain metallicis. I like to see where 
they are, and whether they're in a critical location or they're sitting in the brainstem or more in the periphery. So she has a small volume extracranial disease. I will discuss her at the MDT, given that she's asymptomatic. If all the lesions are in a small, not in a critical location, I would suggest that you have a trial of systemic therapy upfront and we watch the brain very closely and utilize local treatment, whether it's surgery or radiotherapy at the time of progression. But we do have to watch her brain very closely. Yeah. So you've suggested that perhaps we might go with drug therapy up yep. front mm. on the experience we've had from mm. uh, a few clinical trials mm. now. Clearly the location of these tumors and their propensity to cause symptoms if the drug doesn't work is a critical factor mm. we think about. If it's in a very eloquent area, we may not want to rely on drug therapy alone to control this. And we may go in early with in small lesions like this SRS, but even sometimes uh, rarely with surgery. If someone is starting immunotherapy, when would you review them again in terms of rescanning them? I will do the first scan about six weeks after starting immunotherapy, review the patient, have a look at the scan, see whether they're symptomatic or not, and see what the lesion like on the MRI scan. Sometimes can be a bit hard to tell on MRI scan. They can have pseudoprogression, meaning getting a little bit bigger, with a bit more swelling. I think as long as they're asymptomatic and has not been a big increase in size of the metastasis, like not doubling in size, I'll be comfortable to watch at six weeks and then follow the patient very closely. As you mentioned before, there's often a concordant response in the extracranial disease as well. So if the lung metallicis are getting smaller, then likely the brain metallicis are also responding. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, that's what happened with this patient. So young, fit patient with aggressive disease, even though she's well, I would argue one of the reasons why we do routinely restage high-risk patients to try and pick this up early. She had a combination immunotherapy with ipilimumab and nivolumab. She developed thyroiditis that required a beta blocker, but otherwise was well. At six weeks into treatment, three of the six metastases had completely resolved, but three of them had grown a bit more. For example, four to six millimeters, three to seven, and eight to 11. Angela, how would you interpret that? And I'll ask Brenda as well. So complete response in three metallicis, that's great. Um, the other three, slight increase in size, so from 4mm to 6mm, 8 to 11mm, small increase in size. They could represent progression or what we call pseudoprogression as a result of responding to immunotherapy. If she's asymptomatic, I will watch these three lesions very closely with a repeat MRI scan, perhaps in about four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. And Brinda, your thoughts? She's asymptomatic still at this point. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think I would agree with Angela's approach. Surgery is not a good idea and difficult for very small lesions because it can be very difficult to find the lesion. Mm -hmm. Our stereotactic navigation systems do have some inbuilt error. And so if a lesion is under a centimetre, it can often be difficult to find. So I tend to reserve surgery only if it's in excess of a certain size. So six weeks is a very early mm. state in terms of uh, judging the response to immunotherapy. So you often have to tell the patient upfront before they start the immunotherapy. We're really not expecting any respond until what, after four cycles of the combination immunotherapy. We're doing the six-week scan, really 
keeping a very close watch on you just in case something is not working. So you often have to tell patients that. Yeah, exactly. So mm. it's really what we consider like a safety scan mm. just to make sure things aren't trundling along. And exactly as we said, this is what this patient did. So she continued on with another two more doses of immunotherapy. And now at the 12-week mark, those three initial lesions remain completely resolved. A small lesion remains stable, but there's yet further growth now from four to six to nine millimeters and eight to 11 to 13 millimeters. Extracranially, she's had a partial response. Angela, what would you do here? So we've got two lesions that appear to be progressively growing. They're still small um, and they appear to be discordant to within the brain and also extracranially what's happening. What would you recommend? I will reveal the MRI scan with our dedicated radiologist to get their opinion whether this is true progression or do they still think it's a suitable progression. Partial response in the extracranial disease could well be true progression disease in the brain. And if that's the case, these two lesions, 9mm, 13mm, relatively small, I would recommend still take the radiotherapy now to provide long-term control in these two lesions. Yeah. And that's what she did. So it's clearly a difficult scenario and a patient that's often very anxious, measuring millimetre by millimetre and seeing things change and weighing up the, the pros and cons of treatment, very readily accessible for treatment. Treatment should be very effective if this is progression and a relatively low risk, it appears, of radionecrosis at this point in time, should this not have been true progression. So I think that was very reasonable. And so she underwent radiosurgery. Follow-up shortly thereafter showed that both those tumors had shrunk significantly and ongoing response elsewhere in the brain. And she continues on the volume ab to this day without any problem. So we've covered a few cases and some general principles of the multidisciplinary management of brain metastases. We've covered the role of surgery, radiotherapy, and systemic therapy, and really covered the factors that we think are important to deciding best practice here, whether patients are symptomatic, whether they have the number, the location, and the size of metastases, their extracranial burden, and the systemic treatment options available. Hopefully, you found this podcast informative. Clearly, this is a space that is changing rapidly. The management of brain metastases is very different than previously, but patients nowadays have much improved survival compared to even only five or six years ago, such that melanoma brain metastases nowadays are no longer a death sentence, and many people can have ongoing control of their disease with quality of life. Thank you, Alex, Brinda, and Angela for that engaging discussion. You've been listening to the Melanoma Education Podcast, made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Bristol-Myers Squibb, Roche, Novartis, and Merck Sharp and Dome Pharmaceuticals. For more practice-changing melanoma education, please access our free portal at melanomaeducation.org.au.